Good evening, everybody. We've got 7 o'clock. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, before we get started and before you ask, no, uh, we will not be doing part two of Jonathan's lesson from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some teachers just have strengths that are their own, and Jonathan has a skill I do not have. I appreciate his skill, but I have to go in a different direction. Hope you all appreciate that, and uh, we'll move along with me. Um, tonight, we are going to continue talking about modern moral issues. We're going to look at it maybe a little differently, uh, not necessarily the acts, but what we're going to kind of look inward at the root causes and, and, and maybe diagnose some things from that direction. But uh, before we begin, I do want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Uh, that's coming up Saturday. We have a unique opportunity this time of year as Christians uh, to spread the name of Jesus the correct way. Uh, the whole world's, the eyes of the world are focused on the name of Jesus, and uh, we have an opportunity there. So we need to take full advantage of that and, and wish all of you a Merry Christmas as you gather with family uh, the following week. I know we look forward to doing that the next three or four days. Uh, but before we begin tonight, we do want to go over our prayer list. There's never a good time to be sick or injured or hurting, but you know right before Christmas is a particularly tough time to be in the hospital, to be sick, to be dealing with death and loss, 
Uh, I remember my grandmother died on December 23rd uh, in 1999. And uh, I remember that uh, every year. This is just a hard time of year. You, you have thoughts like that in your, your life and people going through that right now. We need to uh, remember them in prayer. Uh, so who's on our prayer list tonight? Margie Burns. Gary Short. Who's that? Cassie Stewart. Anyone else? Uh, last one real quick. Uh, I 
uh, nephew, Anthony Curry, he is six years old, uh, had a little accident today. He ran uh, into a metal door frame, uh, but thankfully he is, uh, he received some stitches and is uh, back at home. Uh, so anyway, they, uh, they live just outside St. Louis, uh, but just pray for a quick recovery for him. Anthony Curry. Uh-huh. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together as Christians to come and open your word and study together and, and learn. And God, tonight we have a long list of names that are sick and are hurting and that just need you, God. And we pray for those that are taking care of them. We pray that we can do our part to help out where we can. And we got, God, we just ask that you give them a speedy recovery if it be your will. And God, we ask you just be with us the next few minutes as we study together and fellowship and know that we love you and that everything we do is to bring glory unto you. Please forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, a couple of things to review and we'll do it quickly. Uh, but, you know, Jonathan has focused specifically, we, we've talked about abortion in great detail. We're going to look at that a little bit in the scripture tonight when we talk. Uh, and we talked about fornication. Um, these talks, and again, I, Jonathan has great skill and they've been beneficial. They made us think about things. And that, that's the whole point of studying, right? Uh, the sins we've talked about, the real they're out there among us. It's what we're dealing with in the modern world. But like I said earlier, tonight I want us to kind of turn our attention inward and, and think about some issues, some modern moral issues that might be affecting us specifically inside of Christ's body. And to begin with, I want to start with this issue and Maybe a little issue, maybe a big issue, but we're in control of it. It's our own attitude and how we see the world. We've kind of fallen into, as a society, the chicken little syndrome. The sky is falling. We find ourselves in that mindset in America. And I can understand that mindset from people who have no hope, but that doesn't apply to us. You know, everywhere you turn, you see people who were once reasonable, well-adjusted adults. They're telling you how bad everything has become. You will hear, this is it. This is as bad as it's ever been. Now, we've got young people in here and we've got old people in here, but we have no one in here qualified to make that statement. It is as bad as it's ever been. It, it kind of makes me shake my head a little bit because I can, again, understand this from non-believers, but not among Christians. Of course we have problems and issues in society, and they're awful, and they're real. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I feel like I can assure you that there isn't a single generation of humanity that wouldn't trade places with us in a heartbeat. 
If you know anything about secular history, you would probably agree with that statement. But knowing the Bible and being the church of Christ, I really hope you would agree with that statement. We as Christians cannot live as if we don't know we have a future hope. We've got to remember, and y'all know this, this world is not our home. And my point tonight, and we're going to get into some things as we get into God's word, it's simple. We have hope. This is kind of the season of hope. Evil has been with us since the serpent in the garden. But you know what? God's truth has carried on. And it's our time to do our part. God has trusted you and he's trusted me with carrying that truth to the next generation. And and they're right down the hall. And we have some great teachers doing it. But we've got to do it. We have to focus on that, not what's out there. If we're going to spread the joy of Jesus, we've got to be full of God's love. I want to look at a few texts, and I've talked to a few of you, uh, asked you to read. And Rick, man, you snuck in. So I'm going to ask you to read it then, so you be ready. Uh, But we're going to look at roughly 6,000 years of humanity throughout God's word. And what you'll find is you'll see God never once told us it would be easy on this side of heaven. I can assure you his son Jesus, at night when he slept on this planet, he didn't have one of those comfy my pillows. They're nice. I like them. They're good. But what God did tell us was to trust in him. And if we trust in him and we have faith in him, he will thoroughly equip us, his people. But when we complain, it shows a lack of faith. All right, who had, uh, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. We're reading this to point out different generations of time where the world looked pretty bad. Genesis 6, 1 through 8. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were mighty men, who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. 
great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verses 5 through 8 there are kind of a continuation or a theme that we see through play out a lot in humanity. Verses 5 and 6 are sad. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great. That every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil. And then verse 6, that should break your heart. Because it says in verse 6, the Lord was sorry he had made them. And so in verse 7, God comes up with a plan, and I know we're familiar with this plan, just like every four-year-old down the hall is familiar with this plan, the great flood, and he is going to destroy man. When we live like we have no home but this one, we're acting like the people during that time. When there's no consequences to your actions, there's no hereafter, why does it matter? And barely into chapter 6, and we see it immediately when Cain kills Abel, but here we are six chapters into God's word. He feels the need to wipe everyone out due to their evil ways and sin. Everyone but... Everyone but Noah found what? All right, I want to stop here and I want y'all to talk. Because I, I want to, I jotted some things down, but I, I know I will learn some things if I listen to you. What was it about Noah? He's a good man. Now, you remember Brad, is Brad Harris, is that right? He did a tremendous series here, great series on creation. We had him here, have some CDs we listened to. There was a lot of people on earth pre-flood, a lot. God only found favor with Noah. So I agree, he was a good man. But I think there had to be something more to it than that, because we're talking... Millions, possibly billions of people wiped out. There you go. What'd you say? He was willing to obey God. He was willing to obey God. Can I add to that? He was willing to obey God when no one else would. We're just made to want to belong to the crowd. That's how we're created. If everyone in the world was a Christian, it'd be very easy to be a Christian. You wouldn't stand out then. It took some amazing self-discipline 
for Noah and his family to be like they were. Have y'all ever thought about that? What, what would have been the easiest thing in the world for Noah and his family to do? To give up, or I heard it back there. Join the crowd. He was ridiculed constantly, I'm sure. So Noah was different. The point of reading that, and we're about to read another one, is this, and y'all are going to see a theme. The world then was filled with sin. The world now is filled with sin. God is angry when we sin. He was angry then. He's angry now. God is the same God. Sin has been here, and it will continue to be here. But we are not to be like the world. We need to be like Noah. We need to obey God. You see, Noah had an ark. Did he invite people to get on the ark? Says he did, didn't it? What did they tell Noah? They thought he was crazy, right? Why are you building that ark? The ark was a way to save lives. What we're doing here every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, in those classes, we are, we are providing the gospel to save lives. We are that important. Just People were going to die in the flood. Well, they're going to die in the fire. And I don't think we see it that way because we're comfortable. It may be 36 outside. It may be 86. I don't know. But we're always comfortable where we are. And we forget how important our mission is. Jeremy, will you read? Did you have Deuteronomy? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 19 through 21. Now this is God's people later on. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of the sons of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their innocence will be, for they are the first generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. But I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with the foolish nation. God refers to the people as a perverse generation, children with no faith. Was this group aware that a flood had taken place? Yeah, of course they were. They were a lot closer to it than we are. And this is the problem we struggle with and they struggle with. None of us, I won't say none of us, we all struggle with the ability to see past what is in front of our face. We see today, the here and now, the sky is falling. We need to look at the big picture. Know what happened before. Know what needs to happen now to set the course right for the future. That is our job. That, that's, that's why we're here. Again, this world has always been filled with people who didn't have faith. We've got to have faith. We've got to be obedient. We've got to do what's right in the sight of God. Okay, now you say, well, I get it. They were bad. 
I get what you're saying. Okay, they were bad. There was a flood. Perverse generation. But what Jonathan's been talking about in this class, you're not talking about that. <clears throat> Jonathan's first issue was a, a abortion. And now abortion is one that with me that, and I'm sure with a lot of you, it touches a nerve. Uh, this is a place to take a stand politically, in my opinion, on the issue of abortion. Now, personally, I don't get bent out of shape which current politician is spending a bunch of money on his or her pet project, but on the issue of abortion, I get real emotional real quick. I think to myself, and these are the most current numbers roughly, how could a national government systematically endorse or oversee the mass murder of around 65 million babies the last 48 years. Now that makes you want to throw up. I mean, 65 million. Probably the kid that would have cured cancer. We just had to kill that kid. That has to be unprecedented in history, right? No one has ever been that evil to endorse that as a government. Surely man's never been that evil. Well, let's look. Who had Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 17? All right, thank you, Cameron. The king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, for which the name of one was Shiphon, and the other was Fulham. He said, <clears throat> He did office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, that be a son, and you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt granted them, and the same children alive. Alright, so here we are, Pharaoh. We still teach about Pharaoh in our. <clears throat> History classes in school, one of the most powerful kingdoms ever on the planet, instructed baby boys to be killed. But, like we had a, we had a but Noah, who follows the but here? Who obeyed God? I heard it. The midwives. Why? Because they did what? I don't know about y'all, but I, I fear God. And I know you do. The midwives did. You see, God created everything. We're here because he allows it. I know that. You know that. There was evil in Pharaoh. And Pharaoh could, at the snap of his finger, have anyone killed. But you know what? There was someone the midwives knew was way more powerful than Pharaoh. That's who they feared. That's who they obeyed. We fear and serve the same God that the midwives did. And here's what they did. It's real simple. They did what was right in the eyes of God. one-child policy that was it. 
the only <clears throat> three nations that I know of that have abortion laws similar to ours today are Cuba, North Korea, and China. And that's exactly where you want your government to be, right? No. Okay. But so don't get me on that tangent. Let's get back. So as we look back at the snapshot of thousands of years of history, the news flash was simple. Man apart from God is going to sin. Man apart from God is going to do some really bad things to one another. There is great evil that man can do. But y'all, that was the easy part. That's exactly what I was talking about with the sky falling. It takes no special skill to point this out. Let's get to the hard part. You know, saying all that we just said is, is pretty much like saying, you know what? Alabama's going to be pretty good in football next year. Yeah, Saban's coaching them. Though. Some things are obvious. The tough part is how do we fix this problem? As God's children here, <clears throat> what is our role? We know about the evil. What do we do to fix it? Sure, call it what it is. That's the easy part. The tough part is how to fix it. So I ask you, what is it that the Boonville Church of Christ offers to the lost, the sinner, the downtrodden? Help me out. Plan of salvation. Plan of salvation. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Hope. That's a big one. No, uh, Brother Todd Swinney just retired back there and he can fill up books with what he's seen his last 29 years. One thing I've been dealing with in bunches the last three years as an administrator at a school with a thousand plus kids is how many kids try to kill themselves? In 2020, 94,000 Americans died, overdosed on opiates, just in 2020. You said we offer hope. There are people out there searching, trying to feel that emptiness that they feel in their soul. And they'll put anything there just to make them feel something. We can offer hope. What about our kids here in the Bible Belt? I just mentioned the, the suicide, which is a grim thing. But you know, 44% uh, of Mississippi kids, and this is a 2018 number, live in single parent homes. We're the Bible Belt, right? But that's 8% higher than the national average. Uh, one in five Mississippi kids are being raised by their grandparents. Thank you, grandparents. We appreciate you. That's not your job. Grandparents have no business raising children. You've already done it. But we thank you for filling that void. Pinevale's here with us, filling that void. I have a quick answer to how to fix this, teach your boys how to be men again, how to be accountable, how to be responsible, how 
how to be spiritual leaders. Those are things we offer along with the plan of salvation, along with hope. We teach young men those things. They need to be here. They're all over Prentice County. They're all over Alcorn, Union, Tippa County. They need to be in here tonight. <clears throat> so we plan a salvation, hope. Before we move on, you got it. What is it we offer? Talking about adults now. The lost, the sinner, the downtrodden that can't be found in that bottle, in that pill, in that casino. What do we offer? I'll give you one more chance. Peace, love, fellowship. We use the term brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I have two little girls that are sisters. And they love each other. They love each other like sisters. They live in my house. They play together all day. We're supposed to be that in Christ. That means something. That's not just a term. That's the love you're talking about. But y'all know ultimately we, we offer a miracle. We offer per, perfection. The truth and the hope of eternal life. And the reason I say a miracle and perfection and all that, and we're going to get to it. One person, well, every person who has walked this planet has sinned, but one. Every person is guilty of wrong, but one. There is no way for anyone to be forgiven for their sin, but through one. And that one gives us hope of eternity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You have to do is drive around and you see the manger scenes everywhere. Well, here it is. Here's how he came to this earth. Who's reading Matthew 1, 18 through 25? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke, from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Right there in, in that stretch of verses, we, we see the miracle birth 
a virgin was with child, we see in verse 21 that the Holy Spirit tells us here in the word that he will save his people from their sins. He walked a perfect life. He offers us eternal life. But he didn't have it easy. I spend quite a bit of time, more than I would like to each week, listening to parents. Good parents. They truly love and adore their children. They want what is best for their kid. But ultimately, in most conversations, I, I will hear this phrase. I just don't think that is fair to my child. And I sympathize with the parent because I am also a parent of children. And they're in grades now where they've been in school long enough where they've had great teachers and they've had bad teachers. And that's just how life works. This room is full of parents and grandparents who love their kids. But you know who else loved their only son? God loved his only son. And from your reading of the gospel, would you say God's son was treated fairly while he was here? No. There was nothing about his treatment that was fair. And if you want to give your child or grandchild a, a great lesson while they're young, please teach them that the world is unfair. God is just, God is fair. It's so unfair that here's how it ended for that baby. Flip to the, it's just one page back or two pages in, or forward. Go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Pilate answered and said to them, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to uh, gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the Hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be crucified. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. When they crucified him, they divided his garment, casting lots for them, to determine what every man should take. 
Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Christ was beaten. He was mocked. He was killed. But you see, that's not the end of the story. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was killed, but he wasn't defeated because he beat death. The grave couldn't hold him. And you see his disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they spread his gospel throughout the entire Roman world and beyond that. And they did it with joy. They did it with conviction. They did it with determination. And they did it with obedience. They were focused on doing God's will. And here we are. 2,000 years later, with the same message. It still has the same power, the same conviction, the same truth. But here's what we've got to do. We have to be builders. The world is full of destruction. Satan is the master of that. It requires no skill to destroy. It requires great skill to build. I hope, and I know we're running out of time, but as we move forward and we're going into a new year, that we each individually concentrate as Christians on edifying and building up one another in God's kingdom. Because the world doesn't need any help tearing it down. That, that, that's pretty good on its own. I want to read this poem. I've read it before. Uh, it's called Builder versus Wrecker. Y'all have heard it, but I love it. It's one the girls went to work with me Monday, and one bulletin board behind my desk is just motivational stuff. And Lottie was reading that one, and it didn't make sense to her, so I explained it to her, but I hope this makes sense to you. Are you a wrecker or a builder? I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho heave ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled as the men you'd hire if you had to build? He gave me a laugh and said, no, indeed. Just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken a year to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these two roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds by a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I wrecking, or am I a wrecker who walks the town, content with the labor of tearing down? I know this church is committed to building and loving one another, but we have to sell that love and that hope to the community we're in. And I know we're out of time. If y'all will bow with me, I'll close this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again for all the many, many blessings you've given us. We love you, and we just pray, Father, that we can do your will in all things. Please bless us with strength and courage to go out and do your work in the world. 
God, give us strength when we're weak and forgive us when we fail you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.